Welcome back to the Friday edition, the Friday episode, the last day of the week of Let's Open the Bible with Gavin Pratt, Russell Fox. Gavin sitting across from me. Hello, Gavin. Hello. And uh, listener, we thank you for joining us again today as we have walked through some interesting uh, passages of Scripture this week uh, connected together because all truth is God's truth, as my friend Gavin here would, uh, would always remind me. Today we're going to be in Isaiah 55. I want to read verses 10 and 11. And uh, just the entire chapter, honestly, I mean, if we had the time to just kind of walk through the entire chapter, it is such a fantastic chapter of God's Word, and it's such an encouragement and a reminder of uh, just God's sovereignty. Uh, The whole thing is just beautiful. And so, you know, wherever we land on this today, listener, I just want to as I always do, I want to encourage you to uh, maybe just, if you haven't been in Isaiah 55 lately, just, <clears throat> I can't think of a better way to end the week and a better challenge to lay at your feet to uh, just really wrestle with this chapter as a whole. And so Gavin, if you want to kick us off in prayer, uh, it would be an honor to be able to read verses 10 and 11. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before your throne of grace because we need grace. We come before you because you are able and because you love us. And we come boldly because Jesus died on the cross and the veil was rent and we can approach you because we have a high priest that has given us access to you and to your throne, to your power, God, that you would work in our lives to do good things. Heavenly Father, I pray as we open up your word, we would be reminded that you invite us to come to receive that which costs us nothing because you have paid the price. I pray that as we open up your word, we see that we don't have to know exactly uh, why you do what you do, because your ways are higher than us, ours. Uh, as we open up your word, I, I pray that we are reminded that your word is accomplishing exactly that which it was sent to accomplish. It is good. It is powerful. And that we would proclaim it promiscuously to people that need to hear it. We love you, God, and thank you. And we ask these things, none of which we deserve, all of which we can ask because you love us in Jesus Amen. Amen. Isaiah 55, beginning verse 10. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Man, I love this chapter of the Bible. I mean, they're all good. There's not any duds. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> I just, uh, I think about this chapter. I've quoted from this chapter, referred to it so many times. And, and one of the things that just boggles the mind for, for me, which really doesn't take much. It's a small mind, and there's not a lot going on in there, uh, is just how God is able to accomplish his plans and purposes i mean but you know i'm that guy that still is amazed by the combustion engine that's been around for a day or two right but you know god's ability to accomplish his purposes and plans his ways truly are far beyond our ways and uh it it just he amazes me thoughts i i want to let that sink in yeah i i think that um so Doug Wilson uh, one time admonished through a book that you know we make light of God. We bring him down to us so that he becomes very familiar. 
and we have a buddy God and we've lost the reverence and awe. And, and so, you know, those, those, those shirts that look like Sprite shirts, you know, they yeah. look like the logo Sprite and they say, Holy spirit and they are Sprite. And you go and you see, you know, um, you know, stained glass windows that include Jesus hanging out with, you know, the Bigfoot or something like that. I mean, you know, and, and we've just those weird things that either, you know, have good intentions and but really make God so familiar. Yeah. Uh, you know, even the Sistine Chapel that tried to, you know, make God transcendent with its glorious beauty really make God less. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think we're warned in scripture not to make any graven images or likenesses of God. It's you just don't understand the closest we can get to an accurate representation of God is his word, like his, the, the written word. And then the spirit opening our eyes to see the, you know, the thing, you know, so I have not seen nor ear heard nor has entered in the heart of the, uh, in the man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. The spirit is enlightening our eyes to those things even now, mm. but not fully. In fact, if we if we saw God perfectly and well, I, I believe any even single attribute of His well, we would die. So, so, I think we should be amazed at God. Yeah, absolutely. I think some of the reason that we take over and say, "God, I, I don't know what you have planned for this, but this is what I'm going to do," you know, uh, you know, to the barren women of the Old Testament where they came up with plots and ploys to you know have children that were not of God, you know, whether it's Lot's daughters or you know. Uh, uh, the whole Abrahamic family seemed to mess up in that regard. But um, our ways of saying, God, we don't know what you're doing, but we'll take over from here. And I think this is a reminder, God is God and you are not. Yeah. God is God and there is no other. God, there are no, all the false gods are not even, they're, they're idols and fake and you, you need to carry them around. God is God. So let's be in awe of him. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, this, I didn't even, think about this but it really is the perfect follow-up to micah 6 8 oh yeah yes walk i mean so, you know why, why should we walk humbly with the lord well because god is god and we are not yeah well there's another there's another part of this that isaiah 55 starts out as an invitation mm. and yeah. i think we should all go what like that isaiah thing or, or luke 5 with peter like get away from me we're sinners we're not worthy yeah what do you require of us that we can approach your throne and he goes i've already paid it that's the beginning of Isaiah 55. It's already been bought. Why do you spend your money on that which doesn't satisfy? I've, I've paid for you to come to me. And then we should be like, God, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't get to walk up to the president. I don't, I don't get to just, hey, I decided to show up today. You'd get tackled. I think you should do that little thing. I think you should go up to the White House and just walk on the grounds, Russ. I think, in fact, run. I think you should run as fast as you can towards that White House and see how that goes for you. I don't run. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't make it very far if you even tried. All right? And no one should. So, I, I mean, I know there's always that listener that goes, oh, I guess what I just heard. No. But you can approach God. You right. can come. He's inviting you to come. And your mind should, your mind, if you if you even remotely grasp the grandeur of God, you should go, wait, what? And and that's why I love in, in verse six, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, 
that shouldn't make sense to you. And then you go to uh, verse eight. And it says four. What does that mean? What is it? What is it in, in another translation? I don't have the, the New King James is four. Okay. Uh, now in uh, in the New Living Translation, it leaves the four off. Okay. Yeah. So, but it but the four is there actually in in the um, uh, it's key. So it is there in in, in the King James. A, it is there in the literal version. It is there in the old Greek Old Testament. It's a preface in the Hebrew. Yeah. So, um, prefix, I mean, but it, but it's there. Yes. So, okay. So four, well, that, that ties it into the preceding chapters. And again, if you're reading those chapters, you should go, wait, I can come before this holy God and not only come, he's inviting me to come. And then he's telling me to seek him and to return to him, but I'm, I've messed up and he's saying, return to him. And then it says for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, why does that have to be tied into the other chapter? Or the sorry, the other verse. Why does that have to be tied into the other verse? Because the other verses should be rocking our world. And right. God says it's okay because you don't think like me. Yeah, It's okay. You don't have a plan like I do. Wait, you're going to let me come before you? Who am I? And he says, well, you don't think like me. All right. And then he says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then there's another one that ties it back for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven. So this is the means by which he's going to invite you. And this is the means by which he's operating. He's sending out his word. Yeah. And, and so there's another four, right? Verse 10, uh, 12 for you shall go out with joy. By the way, that's not a suggestion. That's our response yeah. to, to just being in awe of God. For you shall go out with joy and and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, right. and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Right. So so God's word, so, so he invites us. Yeah. And then and, and again, we should be shocked by that. Yes. That should be how in the world. And, and that's why there is, um, and the unright, uh, let the wicked forsake his way and the unright, unrighteous man his thoughts. There's this, in, in verse uh, seven, there's this acknowledgement of, of wickedness. And then he's saying, but turn and come and receive that compassion. And we should go, no way. And he's going, but I don't think, you know, God's thoughts are above our thoughts. And, and I know I've mentioned this word before, but it's that anthropopathic and anthropomorphic, the using our words to describe God who is other than us. He is, yes. he is transcendent uh, and condescends to our level. So when we use words to describe God, they don't in, in our minds, they're helpful, they're not sufficient. He is, he is absolutely above those words that we describe him. And we use human terms to describe the emotions and the, and the traits of God. Yes. Right. The attributes of God. So, so, but, but he's saying my, my thoughts are not your thoughts. They're, they're just higher. And then he's going to say in verse 10, as we said, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Um, how many plants have to concentrate on growing? None. Okay. So who gives the sun that either, either cooks the plant or grows the plant? God. God gives the increase, right? We know that. Always. Always. So God's sending his word down and it's going to accomplish what he sent it for. And by the way, that's a that's the source of our rejoicing in 12. Yes. So he's going to bring people to him through his word and he's going to accomplish. By the way, that word also can be a word, you know, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
He's going to judge people by that word as well. That's right. Okay. So, but but we are going to see God's work perfectly done and the word accomplishing that work, and we're going to rejoice according to verse twelve. But the, but the last point that I would make, and then we can go wherever you want to go with this, is how many of us trust His word? Hmm. And and I'm going to tell you, people have accused me of being a biblicist, a hyper biblicist. Um, you know where you know almost the regulative principle too much. And I, and I would agree that there is a place that you can go where it's too much. Like you, we don't, we wouldn't use anything in our church, but Hebrew and Greek, you know, I mean, that, that just gets a little much or, you know, that we, we have to dress like Jesus because the Bible, we're not going to have anything, any element of our service that is not, there's a way that you can abuse, you know, I only pay in drachmas and <laughs> I don't think anyways, I, I, I don't, there's a way that you can be a hyper biblicist where it just gets ridiculous. Okay. Yes. But do you even trust it to accomplish that which God says, this is the purpose of the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Um, you know, so, so do we even trust it like that? And I'm going to tell you, as somebody that has been accused of being a hyper-biblicist, which I hope I'm not, I pray that there, there's a, a right understanding of the purpose of God's word. I still, there's a temptation on a Sunday morning to entertain. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that's weird. Like I get up there and I go, I think somebody looks bored. And I can be boring. I'm not I'm not unaware that I can be very boring. I can get in my own head sometimes. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Gavin. Yeah, yeah. Saving Eutychus. I need that one, right? There's Eutychus. Listen, just I knock people out every week. Yeah. Some of the best naps happen at Southgate between 11 and 12. I tell people, like, and, and I'm not making light of our call to peach, peach, preach the word passionately, <laughs> to preach the word passionately. I'm not making light of that or anything else, but, but um, there was a time when I could almost literally say, I count 10 people falling asleep and I wrap it up. Isn't that bad? You know, I mean, and, yeah, and, and so that's bad. No. I, and again, I'm not making light of preaching the word passionately. And, 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 and I love that exposition. I think there's power in the word. And I'm convicted that, you know, Einstein allegedly once said that the God he hears from the pulpit doesn't even remotely compare to the God he sees in the heavens. Now, I, I totally think that's wrong thinking. That's thinking, thinking. I love that phrase of yours. But but I but but I, I want to preach the powerful God that is found on the pages of Scripture. But, but people, I, I can be boring. So I get up there and I see some people kind of, it looks like their mind is wandering. I don't know a man's heart or his mind, but it looks like their mind is wandering. And I think, I used to work at the YMCA. I could keep the kids' attention. I certainly can keep these, this group's attention. Let me make this entertaining. And, and I know I've said this now too many times. There's no excuse for being boring with God's word. But if you think that you're going to, come up with a clever anecdote that's going to help people more than God's, the words of God. You're you don't deceived. understand Isaiah 55. Yeah. You're deceived. And how about, how about how we see people come to a saving faith? Somebody one time, you know, recently we're talking about, okay, you know, how are people going to get saved if you don't, if you don't practice this in a church and this in a church and this in a church? And I said, none of those are found in scripture. So how did Jesus see people come to follow him? How did Paul call people to repentance and faith? How did Peter in Acts 2? And you go, okay, do you really trust the word or are you trying to come up with clever ways of manipulating people to follow Jesus? Do you trust the word? In, I mean, just in your life. Do you, I'll give you the- Is the word sufficient? I used to have that on my, on my refrigerator. 
There are people that would say the the Bible is inerrant, without error, in its original manuscript, in the, in the original autographs, it is without error. It is inspired. It's it's very God breathed, right? It's inerrant. It's inspired. Um, it is perfect for reviving the soul. Amen. But I know that some people did not believe it was sufficient. Yeah. And the other, the, there, there are so many ways that I could, you know, just approach this. I, I've done marriage counseling where I could grab a book off the shelf from any marriage counselor that you could name, and people get more excited about that than listening to God's word. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we we take our spiritual cues from culture, or from secular books, or whatever it is, rather than God's word. Yeah, and it's it's why that cosmopolitan. Uh, I'm not saying that from authority. I'm saying that from okay, because you seem pretty confident oh, I about love, it. Yeah, but but can give you marriage advice and how to spice up your marriage and stuff like that. And people buy those by the handful, or at least they used to, or at least they find them online now. But the Bible, yeah, you know, I don't know that it's sufficient. It doesn't help me. And God's saying, listen, that word, it's it's perfect, it's good, and it will accomplish everything I sent it to accomplish. And I and let me respond to somebody speaking in my you know whispering in my ear. Well, the Bible does what it's supposed to do. It's not going to return void when it comes to salvation, but the Bible doesn't speak on anything, but it's a soteriological, there's a five-cent word, it's a book on salvation. It doesn't tell you who should date or what color carpet you should buy or something like that, but I think the Bible does speak on, um, I think the Bible does speak on those things about you know being evenly yoked in business and in life and in marriage it speaks on being evenly yoked it speaks on how we should treat others you know when the woman comes out and meets him at the well jesus doesn't seem to say you know what the bible doesn't say anything about marriages he he speaks on her marriages i mean he addresses the fact that she is not married to the person that she's supposed to be married to you know or that she said she was married to you're not yeah you're not married to him um, there are other places in scripture where Jesus addressed their actions that were not soteriological and drive th- those are used to drive them to considering their soul. But yeah, that's good. I, and, and, you know, it, it speaks to a picture of relationship, pictures of relationship between believers. Uh, and that's one of the things that, uh, you know, in, I believe it's Genesis two twenty seven. A husband shall leave his wife and cling, or leave his, his father and mother and cling, or be joined <laughs> to his wife. But but we see that also in other places in the scripture to indicate a a a, a particular type of relationship that we should have with other believers. Amen. So I just I, I was watching Russ's face and it looked like he was a, a husband should leave his wife and cleave to a pizza or something. I don't know. You're, yeah, I like pizza. You said a husband should leave his wife and cleave to, and uh, you're just my. It sounded like your mind went to I like pizza. Yeah, it's yeah. short circuited. Yeah, yeah. We all. Oh my goodness. My I had a I had a verse in my mind the last episode where I was about to quote it and my mind got distracted and I forgot the verse. So yeah. Well, that, you know, I keep a license in my wallet, so just in case I forget my name, I can pull my license out. So it's it's always handy. But you know, we didn't talk about verse uh, thirteen, and I think it's such a beautiful picture. Uh, it says, "Instead of the thorn shall come up a cypress tree, and instead of briar shall come up a myrtle tree, and it shall be uh, to the Lord's name for an everlasting sign that it shall not be cut off." And just this picture that you know God can take a thorn and 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 produce a cypress tree. He can he can take a briar and and produce a myrtle tree. Who can do that? So maybe I need to do a little more uh cross referencing right here. But isn't it interesting that in the the parable of the the seed and and you know sower that 
thorns and thistles choke out the word. Yeah. And, you know, in the parable of the wheat and the tares, the tares are growing amongst them. And, and that, and you know, that those are people that have not followed Christ and, you know, unbelievers is what, you know, that will be gathered up and destroyed at, at the last day. Isn't it amazing that God's word goes in and it's going to take those weeds and turn them into the weeds and turn them into wheat and it's going to destroy the work of the world, the flesh and the devil eventually. And, and even that's how we do it now. Explain the word, proclaim the word. It's, it's almost like that Ezekiel 37 in the Valley of Dry Bones. What are Amen. we going to do? We prophesy. Yeah. yeah. What are we going to do when you just see weeds everywhere? When you see tears everywhere, you're going to preach, proclaim, yeah. pray. That word is powerful. Amen. Amen. And it'll turn those weeds into myrtle. Hmm. It's an awesome word breathed out by an awesome God. Perfect word. We should be in awe. Amen. Good. Way to wrap it up. Listener, I hope that you plan to be in awe in God's house. Amen. Sitting under the authority of God's word, preached by a a man of God, called by God, set apart by God to preach uh, that word. I hope that you will just sit in that awe and worship because he alone is worthy of our praise. I hope you have a great weekend. Open your Bible, study it, let the word of God dwell in you richly, and we look forward to seeing you on Monday. God bless. Thank you.